0: I love Hotel Lotion. This is the Rich Eisen Show. What a weirdo.
1: With guest host Dan
0: Helley from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Does the
2: 49ers coach have a burner account?
0: There is no official Kyle Shanahan. The
2: fact that he January. is basically saying, yeah, I check Twitter sometimes after a big win or, or a loss. I love it.
0: Earlier on the show, NFL Network analyst Brian Baldinger. Coming up, Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick. Quarterback coach. Coach, John Beck, and now sitting in for Rich Dan Helly.
3: What is up, everybody? Dan Helly sitting in for Rich, who is currently in Cleveland. We're going to be catching up with him hey, coming hey. up in uh, just a few minutes. Rich getting ready to host the uh, draft, of course, on NFL Network. You're going to be able to watch that on multiple platforms. Uh, very much looking forward to that. So, Dan Helley alongside Chris Brockman. Uh, Jason Feller filling in for Eight. Mike Del Tufo. And of course, TJ Jefferson in the house yeah, as yeah, yeah. well. Uh, top of our number two. How about a little news update from uh, Brockman? Brockman, what do you have, brother? Let's go.
2: port of the day's news from the world of sports and entertainment someone who is not a journalist or newsman
3: by any definition of the word whatsoever it's Chris Brockman
0: yeah guys let's just uh, take a spin around here in the National Football League and talk about some of the uh, top headlines we mentioned at the end of last hour but let's hit on it again Antonio Brown resigning with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a one-year deal Per Antonio Brown's agents, $3.1 million guaranteed, $2 million signing bonus can be worth up to $6.25 million if Antonio reaches certain incentives. That means all of Tampa's offense and defense coming back. Do you think the Bucks are Super Bowl favorites, Dan Helley?
3: 100%. I mean, let's think about what they did last year in a condensed offseason. With Tom Brady having to work out with guys in public parks in and around Tampa, and Antonio Brown reporting it midseason, they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> they have everybody back. <laughs> with, I guess it's going to be a different offseason too. You know, they're going to have virtual workouts, which they are initially in OTAs, but they're going to have uh, a lot more work together. And they have last year, you know, in their back pocket already, dude. This is this is insane. And I think with Antonio getting some of the off the field issues solved is going to Make things a little bit easier for him to focus on football. So yeah, I, I this is yeah. this is almost unfair <laughs> that they at some point Tom Brady is going to have to go into decline. You would think, right? At some point, I mean, it's going to happen. I don't like, know. Maybe that's maybe? at fifty. I don't know when it's going to be, <laughs> but the fact that he's going to have Gronk back and AB back, and by Chris Godwin's gonna right. Right. going to be healthier, Mike Evans going to be healthier. This is unfair to the rest of the National Football. It's unfair. Like, just put him
0: in, give him the Lombardi Trophy. It's over. It's done. It's Wait, a wrap. Lock. You're locking it in. Stone cold lock. Six to one. Let's go <laughs> Vegas. Done. Let's let's just. I'm put in. It down. You know what?
3: I'm going. Actually, I'm going to Vegas on Monday. I will give you some. Uh, yeah, let's talk. I will
0: give you. Some, uh, so a team that they beat in the Super Bowl, Kansas City, they made a move. They acquired uh, Orlando Brown from Baltimore. We talked to John Harbaugh yesterday. Uh, you know, had a little hesitation about kind of trading a guy who's going to be a starting left tackle for a, a team to a you know to another team that they're going to have to go through in the playoffs. Um, but said, hey, look, we're going to take on all comers. We play those on our schedule, and uh, we'll gladly take on that competition. Got 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 a nice haul back for Orlando Brown. Also, uh, we took notice. Other people have been taking notice. The Ravens have yet to exercise Lamar Jackson's fifth-year option, have not given him a big contract extension that other quarterbacks have gotten. A lot of people reading into that. We asked John Harbaugh that, said it's not a big deal. His guarantee, they guaranteed that he's going to pick up Lamar's fifth-year Uh, and then I'm sure they'll work on a contract extension with the former MVP. Do you think this is a big deal or is it just kind of, you know, something that teams do wait till after the draft to kind of make these contract maneuvers?
3: I don't want to say a non-story, but it's a very small story because there's, there's no doubt, uh, in my mind that they, they come to a long-term agreement. It's just how how much are they going to have to pay him with some of the quarterback money that's been out there with the. You know, the, the Mahomes deal and the Deshaun Watson deal. Like, these these are huge, massive deals out massive. there. How, how much do you pay Lamar? And, you know, obviously the one thing you worry about him more so than any of these other guys is the injury situation because of how much uh, he does this, right? So... That's if you're on the hook for you know a hundred million guaranteed, and and he gets hurt and he misses a season, obviously that affects the franchise in a negative manner. So, but they're gonna have to pay him. And I, you know, I know at this time of year, you want to be provocative, you want to put stuff out there that people are gonna click on and people are gonna read. And Bucky Brooks, who I love, I, I don't know if you saw this article, but he was basically proposing that if available, uh, go get Justin Fields and kind of. You know, it's almost like leasing a car. You know, you, you, you have a quarterback for, you know, three, four yeah. years, and then you bring in another rookie quarterback, so you're never paying that massive number, um, and you let Justin Fields come in. It was a proposal. I don't know how much Bucky, how much oomph he really had behind it. I don't much how much he really believed it, but
0: it was certainly a talking point uh,
3: for a couple of days. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm buying that. I think I'm rolling with Lamar.
0: Yeah, we threw out that yesterday. Do you think there will come a time that, a team is progressive in this way and just kind of rolls the dice on the college model like hey look we're going to draft a guy we got four to five years to win a Super Bowl with him if we don't we'll move on to the next guy I, I think
3: here's something that was proposed kind of in that same genre five or six years ago by Michael Robinson uh, when I worked with him uh, on Total Access on NFL Network he said what's going to happen and he said I see this already at the, at the youth level with all these more athletic quarterbacks coming into the game is that teams are going to have two or three quarterbacks and they, they'll rotate them like they do running backs. Oof. And I didn't know, I, I, I tried to think of a place where that's worked and being an SEC guy, I went to Tennessee, I saw the, you know, the old yeah, ball coach do yeah. that at Florida with a lot of guys yeah. and it worked to a certain extent, but you know what the saying is in the NFL and this is why I'm not a big fan of the Carolina Panthers drafting quarterback while Sam Darnold's there or maybe the Falcons drafting their quarterback in the future while Matt Ryan's there. You know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And it makes things very difficult. And I I don't know that that ever comes to fruition. But this model, this college-type model, where every time you kind of rebuild with with yeah. a rookie quarterback, is interesting. interesting. I don't know that it works long-term, because what's the one thing as an NFL franchise you're trying to find? You're trying to find that franchise
0: quarterback mm-hmm. that's going to be with you for 10 to 15 years. So, But if you can avoid being cap strong, like say Atlanta is right now when you have 70 and $40 million cap hits the next two years on your quote unquote franchise MVP quarterback. Right. seems like a way to kind of, you know, dance around the cap and kind of create some, you know, maneuverability with other positions. I I don't know. In my mind, if
3: you're going to overpay one guy on your football team, it better damn well be the quarterback. So if you're (laughs) saving all that money, you got (laughs) to spend it somewhere else. Right. Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel you. I just think some team is going to do it at some point, right? It, it, yeah, you would think
3: it's going to happen. The, but what, the, what the happens? The
0: analytics might point towards going in this direction and a team could be all in with a you know, younger front office and a younger right. coaching staff and just go for it. But what happens
3: when you draft Patrick Mahomes? Are you going to get off Patrick Mahomes
0: after his rookie
3: deal? What, you know, or assuming that none of this off-the-field stuff was going on with Deshaun Watson, right? Or, or Trevor Lawrence, or if you're the Jaguars. You're going to have your guy. Like, why would you do that? It makes no
0: sense. Could you imagine if the Chiefs were like, cool, thanks for the Super Bowl, Pat. Right. See you, buddy. <laughs> see, see,
3: we're not you, get, see you later. <laughs> we're not going to pay you these hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: Yeah. All right. A couple uh, NFL draft things. Uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler saying the Lions are one of the teams that are trying to trade up to the fourth pick to get Jamar Chase. Really? What do you think about that move? Well, here's... oh god i know the lions have a not great history with with wide wide receivers receivers in the top five i don't mm. know
3: if if no i wouldn't do that i would not do that i would not draft a wide receiver with that pick i i would i would no i just can't (laughs) i just can't based on you know mike williams and charles rogers they're seven right now so they would have to go from seven to four so does that what do you think you'd have to give up for that would you have to give up a first-round pick to move up three spots?
0: A pick swap and maybe a second in this year's draft?
3: Man. I, yeah, I just think the history, and, and I, although I will say this, I think this guy's a can't-miss can't prospect. So. I think so, too. I mean, he's, he's the best of the bunch. But you could, you could get one of these Alabama guys. You could, there's other really good wide receivers. I feel like there's a lot of value there. I, I, seven, you're in a tough spot. Oh, man, no, I would not. That just kind of scares me right now for all the Lions fans that they would have to deal with that again. Just, I, like I said, I think he's a can't miss, but you never know what's going to happen. And taking wide receivers that high, Peter King did a great piece um, in, in uh, his Monday article about first-round wide receivers and second-round wide receivers over the last five years. And receivers taken in the second round – Basically, had as much or more success than the receivers taken in the first round, you know, the, the, because it was like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. Right. Those are the second
0: round. Guys. Those guys are really skewing that list, yeah, too. Uh, <laughs> big time. They're just monsters. I feel like wide receiver evaluation is so difficult. A lot of it depends on I me. Mean, Calvin Johnson being an you know an outlier, probably right. Jamar Chase being an outlier, but just you know you look at just look at my team, the Patriots. They take Nikhil Harry in the first round. And he is such a bust when you compare him to D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown, Your team easily
3: could have had. Your team has not hit on a wide receiver in the draft since the Boston Tea Party. I mean, it's been that long. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, it's, I don't understand how such a tremendous evaluator of talent like Bill Belichick and those folks in the front office there in New England can constantly miss on wide receivers in the draft. It's unbelievable to me. They're gonna, They're going to hit. They're gonna. I mean, I
0: not yeah, They'll be fine. I have no idea what they're gonna do. <laughs>
3: yeah. No. That's another really interesting one to me. Is another storyline in this draft that's been tossed around is Jimmy Garoppolo going back to New England? <laughs> let's say for a second round pick. Which, if you draft Mac Jones, you're gonna play Mac Jones. And Baldy brought this point up, Brian Baldinger, when we talked to him a few minutes ago here on the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Helley filling in said. If you draft one of these guys in the top ten, you got to play him, right? If you draft Fields and you're Atlanta, you want to play him. It doesn't always work out when you have an Alex Smith and a Patrick Mahomes is there to sit for a year and then and then starts the next year because they need experience. And I I agree with Baldy. I think generally that's the case. So if you are New England and you draft a young guy, like are are you playing him when Cam's there, or you trade for Jimmy G? You just would you eat the,
0: the cam contract Do they compete? like what would you do? I am totally on a not interested in Jimmy G back. I really wasn't interested in bringing Cam back, but now that he's here, I wouldn't mind seeing the Pats get Trey Lance so Trey can learn for a year or two under cam since they're kind of a similar player uh, you know when Cam came out. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think if you I think if the 49ers take Mac Jones. He's starting right away. I think if they take Trey Lance, then it's going to be Jimmy G's team. I yeah, think that's, I would that's agree. the scenario. And that makes sense. I think for me. Um, Adam Schefter just tweeted this out, uh, some, picking up some news here. On a veteran running back, Saquon Barkley tore his ACL in week two against Chicago last season on track to be ready to start the year per sources. So that's good news I, there. I would
3: hope so. I mean, Adam generally, a- ACLs have gone from, you know, 20 years ago uh, – Potential career-ending injury to now it's like a broken leg. Yeah, no big deal. You know, you're, you're in six or seven months. You're you're doing almost everything. You know, it's it's remarkable. Speaking of broken legs, the uh, I don't know if you saw. I mean, the UFC 261 Chris Weidman had one of the most gruesome injuries I've ever seen. And when he when he broke his leg, put out on social media X-rays of, oh. of the pins oh. in the leg. Clean break, both tibia, tibia and fibula, uh, but. He's, you know, he'll be walking in six weeks and and training maybe to fight again.
0: It's it's wild what they can do now. You were there for that most gruesome injury you've ever seen in person.
3: It, it was awful. You could, I was really close to the octagon, right behind you know Rogan and Anik and DC, and it was the first kick of the fight. And Chris Weidman is fighting uh Uriah Hall, and what they're doing now in the UFC is there's this nerve kind of like. At the top of your calf, on the yeah. side of your knee. Like and if you leg, catch it right, yeah, it gives you drop foot, basically. And you you can't proceed. So a lot of guys are trying to find that. And I don't know, for whatever reason, he went a little high, hit the outside of the knee, and his leg literally snapped in half. And you could hear an audible gasp. It took a minute for everybody to realize exactly what happened. And they showed the replay multiple oh. times up oh. on the screen. UFC's a little different <laughs> than the NFL in that way. Now, Dana White on his Instagram page posted a picture of the break, like the, like the leg going the uh, other direction. Uh. Um, and they, they showed crazy. it a couple of times, and it was just, you couldn't watch it. I remember talking to Daniel Cormier right after it happened, and he, was, he would not look at the monitor. He's calling the fight. He wouldn't look at the monitor. I couldn't either. It was, yeah, it was brutal.
0: Is that it? That's it. We have any more news stories? Well, that's we have a lot of a news to we'll, get see, to we'll see what's coming up later on okay. the show. That right. breaks all the time.
3: Dan Helley filling in on the Rich Eisen Show. Tremendous news update by Brockman <laughs> there. We're back with uh, Brian Billick right after this.
2: Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: This is the Rich Eisen show.
2: One thing I, I love about you, Steve, is when you host Family Feud, you get a, you you realize that there's a moment that is happening, and you make a meal out of it. Like, you as a host no, we gotta stop here and we have to acknowledge just how insane this moment just yeah. is right now. And one of my favorite ones, just like that, involves Stefan Diggs of the Minnesota Vikings when he was playing for the Fast Money and it was leave it blank. And he said, in. And the whole place went absolutely nuts. And you just stepped away. Yeah. I just made an absolute five-horse meal out of that Because
1: we have to drink this moment. Yeah. See, sir, I don't see Stefan Diggs. Look, man, (laughs) if you got your helmet on your number, we all know who you are. Once he takes the helmet off, we got to kind of figure who that is. (laughs) So he didn't have his helmet on. I wanted him to be YouTube famous for the rest of his life. (laughs) Because what's great, man, are these, you know, we do a lot of NFL, NBA shows on Family Feud for celebrities. It's great, man, when regular people discover that celebrities don't know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. You think because a person is famous, they know more. They actually know
2: less.
1: (laughs) They know less than anybody else because they're exposed to less. Rich people don't know how much milk costs. You get out of touch, man. And when they come on Celebrity Family Feud, you find out how out of touch they are. They don't know anything, man. Like, one of the questions for the NFL team was, and we were asking a running back for the Packers, uh, can't think of his name, but the question was, complete the sentence, strip and you spoke, you know, like strip mall, Strips, strip poker. Strip sack. Could be strip a- sack. I said, name, complete the word strip. He said, per. <laughs> strip per. I went, hold on, man. I quit breathing. <laughs> How is that your point of reference to complete the word strip? Per. P-E-R. That was it. I was done. That was one of my great moments.
2: And again, you just walk away and you just you realize it in the moment, like, okay, this is it, and I'm gonna let this thing go. Hey, after the I show,
1: he asked me, he said, Steve, is there any way we can edit that out? <laughs> I said, sir, we're not editing that out. Matter of fact, we're gonna embellish it. You're gonna say purr so loud. Purr.
3: Back on the Rich Eisen Show, Dan Helley filling in Rich in Cleveland as we speak. My pleasure now to be joined by Brian Billick, Super Bowl winning head coach. He's in the Ravens' ring of honor. Coach, it's been a minute. How you doing?
4: Dan Helley, how you doing, young man? Good to hear your voice.
3: Uh, You as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate the time. You have uh, been a man who's been around a lot of fine quarterbacks and fine offenses over your years. Trevor Lawrence, obviously the number one pick in this draft. Who's your number two and number three when you watch these guys?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting group. You know, you've got the five, and it's a very diverse group in terms of the schools, uh, their athleticism, their experience, their base. Uh, so it's an interesting, diverse group to choose from. Zach Wilson appears to have, and I think it looks like maybe the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. He looks to be the, the total package. They all look like the, You know, they the should be able to play in the NFL. Having said that, you know, 50% of the players taken in the first round at quarterback bust. I mean, that's just a fact. And so the question is, which of these guys? There's no reason this group should not be all good quarterbacks. Of course, there was no reason why Jamarcus Russell and Vince Young and Achilles Smith and Joey Harrington and the list goes on and on, why they shouldn't have been good pros. So it's going to be interesting to see the order they come off.
3: So when you're building a team, I've had this debate many times with – uh, friends and colleagues over the years ideally you find your young quarterback you build the team around him however there are certain times when you build the team and then you plop the young quarterback in I- is that something doable or is is having your young quarterback first much more uh preferential if you are uh, a team builder or a head coach as, as you were
4: yeah it's it's tough to do the latter you know you can see why new york and 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 i i, I concur that that setting Sam Darnold to Carolina made sense because Robert Sala comes in. I had a chance to visit with him the other day on a podcast that I do coach to coach. And, and that's usually the formula that when you come in as first as a coach, if you can get your quarterback, if, if, unless there's one there already, but if, if you need one to have it right when you get started and then you build around him. The problem is if you, if you start to build the team and you try to plop them in later, you're going to go through the ups and downs of a young quarterback and, and you may not laugh. We've seen that story time and time again. So yeah, I do think it, it, it makes a difference that if you're going to pick a young quarterback, unless you're an established team, an established head coach that is firm in, in your, in where you're at, um, Yeah, if you're just starting out, yeah, you want to start with that young quarterback. That's exactly why I think Urban Meyer uh, took the Jacksonville job because of his ability to begin with Trevor Lawrence, and and I think probably one of the reasons that Robert Sala was drawn toward the Jets' job, having that second overall pick and, and could start that process together with his young quarterback.
3: Dan Helley filling in for Rich Eisen talking to Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick, who has authored a book on finding the ideal NFL quarterback. So who better to talk to in this draft where every NFL team seemingly so thirsty to find that franchise quarterback. And we could see, we're going to see three go one, two, three. That's only happened twice before uh, in NFL history. And you mentioned the 50% bust rate. It was 1971. It was uh, 1999. And there were six quarterbacks taken uh, in three in the first three picks of each of those drafts. And, three made it and and three didn't. So there's your 50% bust rate right here. If you are the Falcons, Brian, and you have the fourth overall pick and you have the opportunity to potentially find a future franchise quarterback uh, who could sit for a year behind, behind Matt Ryan or take maybe the most dangerous offensive weapon in the draft and Kyle Pitts, what do you do?
4: Yeah, I still think Matt Ryan can play. And I think the Atlanta Falcons can be a good football team. I, uh, you know, I don't, we just said, you're a first-time coach. Now's the time to start with the young quarterback. I get that. And if Atlanta wants to do that, fine. Let Matt Ryan go someplace else. And there'll be a lot of suitors. The idea of letting him, okay, we're going to draft a guy. We're going to use that first pick not to make the team better, but to draft a guy, not play him, and now let Matt Ryan continue to take it on, that typically doesn't go well. I mean, yeah, you can look at Kansas City when they did with Patrick Mahomes, between Alex Smith, and you look uh, uh, at uh, Jordan Love uh, um, in Green Bay in behind uh, Aaron Rodgers, but those are two good football teams. Atlanta's not a good football team right now. So to put in, no matter who they take, if they take one of these quarterbacks, he's going to start at some point. That's just the way it works. And, uh, and for Matt Ryan to be that placeholder, I, I just don't think it's in Atlanta's best interest to do that. I don't think it's Matt Ryan's best interest if you want to go that route and i can certainly see that then then let matt ryan go someplace else and and there'll be a long line of suitors that wanting to have matt ryan
3: so many have said that the draft starts at number four right where the where the falcons are because we know that quarterbacks are going to go one two three is there a most interesting pick in this draft beyond the atlanta pick at four you know a lot of people have also talked about the fact that the Panthers, despite the fact they've traded for Sam Darnold, could draft a quarterback. Somebody's probably going to move up into the top 10 to draft one of these guys. To you, what's the most interesting scenario or, or team there in you know, the, the top half of the first round?
4: Well, obviously the quarterback draw drives that, and, and what you just laid out will be interesting. If Carolina takes a quarterback after trading for, for uh, uh, Sam Bradford, that, that's going to be a cluster. I mean, that's just not good. Um, I realize it's not a huge cost on their part because they're really kind of paying them like a backup, so that works. But, I, I you know, that, that, to me, that's just not a good – if you're going to take the young guy, then take the young guy and let him be the guy and build going forward with that. Um, what's interesting is you look at the NFC East with Dallas, New York, and Philadelphia, 10, 11, and 12. Because of all these quarterbacks getting pulled up, there's some good top five blue-chip talent – whether it's the two tackles, uh, uh, Slater and Sewell, whether it's, like you say, Kyle Pitts, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, those good Jamar Jamar Chase uh, or Devontae Smith, there's some pretty good top five talents getting pushed back to that NFC lineup of Dallas, New York, and Philadelphia that make it very, very interesting and could make it even not for the quarterback for someone wanted to jump up. uh, If, uh, let's say, Carolina decides, no, we're not going to, uh, take a quarterback. We're going to go with Sam Darnold. Someone wants to jump up and pick up one of those quarterbacks. It um, presents them an opportunity now to pick up still maybe a top five or top ten talent later on back. So that movement, you're exactly right in pointing it out uh, at Detroit, Carolina, and Denver. That's that's going to be very interesting to see where that falls.
3: Yeah, to your to your point about really good players falling. Look on the defensive side of the ball. There might not be a defensive player. Uh, picked until 11 or 12 and you could get a guy like Micah Parsons who might be the best defensive player in this draft. So that's going to be fascinating to see. I'm fascinated by the draft rooms and what goes on behind the scenes. And you've been in in, in many of these over the years and involved in many drafts from from your days in Minnesota to your time in Baltimore as the head coach. And I believe you were in Minnesota when you guys drafted Randy Moss, correct, Coach?
4: Yeah. Uh huh. Sure was. Was that your yeah, that single was, greatest
3: draft it, pick of all time?
4: That was that was pretty good. I remember Denny Green came to me, and Denny Green, God rest his soul, was the best evaluator of talent of any coach I've ever been around. Would have been a great general manager, and I and and ran the draft beautifully. And I remember when he came and he said, "Brian, we're we're going to get Randy Moss." I think we were twenty one or twenty two. Twenty one. Well, okay. The old man's lost it. There's no way Randy Moss is going to fall. I'd done my homework, even though I knew there's no way he's going to get there. Right. Um, once he got past Dallas at ten or eleven, there was a free fall, and all of a sudden, now twenty one, we get a Randy Moss, and it was. Uh, I mean, it was interesting. Chris Carter called me, and he had been working out with Chris Carter. And Chris Carter used to have a workout camp.
3: In yeah, down at Boca, the fast program. I remember that. Yeah,
4: and 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 he called. And he said, "Brian, you, you, this is unbelievable. You can't believe how good this guy is." I says, no, Chris is unbelievable. I'm looking at the film right now. We're going to be able to do this and that. This he goes, Brian. No, listen to me. You have no idea how good this kid is. And Chris saw it then. And so, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the special draft days to be able to get Randy Moss at 21.
3: I'm look. I'm looking at the numbers here. <laughs> His rookie year, holy cow, it was 1998. Randy Moss. Had sixty-nine catches. All right, that's okay for thirteen hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns.
4: Yeah, yeah. You, you talked about the guy that could take the top off the deep. And and keep in mind now, I also had Hall of Famer uh, uh, Chris, Chris Carter. Carter for that underneath in the slot. I had Robert Smith in the backfield. Uh, Randall Cunningham at quarterback. Um, uh, Was Jake really Reed there? Or, uh, yeah, we we had some guys now. Great offensive line. I mean, we had some weapons. We, the defenses just didn't know what to. You had to start accounting for Randy, so you had to back up. Well, we could wear you out with Chris underneath or run the ball, and uh, Randy was unbelievable that rookie year.
3: Oh, what what an incredible player uh, he was! So you get to Baltimore. What what do you remember most about your your time at Baltimore in terms of being in the draft rooms and picking guys? I'm assuming Ed Reed was probably your best your best pick there because Ray Lewis had already arrived, right?
4: Yeah, no, obviously, knew some in the group whether it was Phil Savage or Eric Coste did such an incredible job. And, and you asked about the draft room. If you do your work right, uh, it's a very calm day. Uh, There's not like, you know, it's not like in the movie, uh draft, what is it, draft day with Kevin Cosner, where they consolidated an entire season into like, this guy did all this in one day. You know, (laughs) he did that evaluation. He did this trade. This doesn't work that way. All that work has already been done. You've set the table. Now it's just a matter of pulling the trigger. If you want to move up, move back. You've done your evaluations. Your guys are going to be there. Uh, uh, there may be some surprises thrown at you. Very, not likely in the first round. Those conversations tend to get a little more in-depth later on because now you have, you know, the difference between the, the 10th player in the draft and the 25th player in the draft could be substantial, and it's easy to quantify. But the difference between the, the 50th pick in the draft and the 70th pick in the draft may not be as clear-cut, and now you also have some needs. So now, you know, you begin to negotiate the ranking on the board. Well, uh, we don't really need a lineman, and that's the next highest-rated guy. But this defensive lineman who we do need isn't rated quite as high, but almost. So do you go with the defense? So that's where some of the conversations become a little more, more, more in day two and three.
3: Well, and you were lucky enough to be a part of an organization that was among the elite in terms of the structure uh, in the NFL w- with the Ravens, you know, Ozzie and those guys in the front office were as and are a- as good as it gets. How much input did you have as a head coach? And you won early. You won a Super Bowl early in your tenure there. Did you have more after you had a little more sway and, and swagger in that room after winning the Super
4: Bowl? Well, and Ozzie was a great partner, and we did work it like a partnership. I viewed my job to be the guy that kind of stirred up. I mean we had a structure in and Ozzy was one of the best listeners I've ever been around. So he sought all of the input from coaches and scouts alike and it was a constant process. I viewed my job as to kind of stir it up a little bit to you know challenge one of the coaches or the or the personnel guys on a, on their guy they're they're selling him and talking about how good he is and I may think the same thing but I may you know yeah I'm not seeing it. I'm not convinced. Show me the tape. So, you know I want to see the courage of his conviction. And with Ozzy I would I would pose questions tell me more about this guy tell me more about that guy to to get you know a little di- dig a little deeper and although it got to the point it was usually about this time maybe even a little earlier in the week where kind of like with your wife you know when you get that look like okay i've had enough we're done talking about it i, I would by monday or tuesday i get that look from ozzy like okay uh, we're done discussing it uh we're set
3: what year was it when you were in Baltimore? I believe it was 03. And the Vikings missed their first round pick because they were trying to work out a trade with you. Do you remember that?
4: Yeah, it was a we it was all around Byron Leftwich. And Jacksonville wanted to move up. We we're all trying to move to Minnesota to get up to get Byron Leftwich and and we thought we had a deal and then it was uh, they were delaying and Mike Tice couldn't pull the trigger and the cards are being pulled in so as it turned up, Jacksonville ends up there Minnesota Falls but then they missed their pick because it was such a confusing we actually had the card turned in but it didn't get communicated properly they've since changed the process right so it was yeah it was a bit of a cluster and 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 the guy we wanted i remember very specifically um Terrell Suggs was a guy that that when we would do the reading on Terrell Suggs um it would kind of be okay. Yeah, that's fine. Well, there's no way we we're sitting at whatever we were backed up there. We weren't going to get Charles Sykes. He's not. He's not going to be available then. So let's move on. And and all of a sudden we're and we thought that much of it uh, that he was that we thought he was a top five blue chip player. So all of a sudden this thing's going on and and then all of a sudden Minnesota is on the clock and we're thinking yeah now we don't have Byron Leftwich we don't have you know and now there's that next pick and we're thinking oh my god what if they take. And, and they don't, they delay it. We end up getting Suggs, and then we scramble around and later on take Kyle Bowler. It wasn't until later in the day where we kind of paused and looked up and go, wait a minute, are you kidding me? We got Terrell Suggs? It was kind of, you know, just the whole way it went down was really unique.
3: Yeah, it's just, well, you, you can make movie after movie about some of these draft rooms over the years, and uh, we've certainly seen one in drafting. You brought up Jacksonville. Um, I, I just saw a tweet from, uh, from James Palmer at NFL Network um, talking about Urban Meyer and Urban basically saying we can't screw this up. We have five picks in the first sixty-five. It's a historic draft. We have to get this right. What's the biggest challenge for Urban, spending his whole career in the college ranks? You coached in college prior to the NFL. What's going to be the biggest challenge for him in Jacksonville this year?
4: Well, I had a chance to visit with Urban on, on the podcast I do, coach to coach, and was fascinating. I've known Urban for years, and and he's ready for this. There's no question. He's an outstanding coach. And coaching is coaching. But it is different, obviously, the group you're dealing with, the professional. Yeah, you have young players, but you're also going to have 30- 30 and 35-year-old veterans that have got families and side businesses. And so dealing with the pro-player mentality uh, and the fact that you're dealing with, with those grown men, that's probably the biggest adjustment. And he'll do a great job with it because you obviously, you you don't. You, you, you want to be fair. You're going to treat everybody fairly, but you're not going to treat everybody the same. You just don't. You're not going to treat a, a, a long-time veteran, um, and a, you know, four-time Pro Bowler the same way you do a rookie. You'll treat them fairly, but differently. And so getting used to that and, and, uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he's been at some pretty good programs where they look at the top talent on their board and they can get a whole bunch of it, that top 150. You're right. They have a lot of picks and he's going to look at his top 150 players and and they look pretty good but those those players come flying off that board and all of a sudden it can look like pretty slim picking so it's a little bit different in terms of trying to recruit them to great places like Florida and Ohio State and now you got to stand in line to pick the players you want
3: 7 years at Ohio State he only lost 9 times Urban Meyer could lose 9 times in his first season in Jacksonville so that's going to take some uh, some getting used to I think for him at least in this in this first year as he's building the program there um if you were in San Francisco and and you're Kyle Shanahan and you know every time your name pops up, we show the title of your book, uh, you know the search, the Q factor of uh, the elusive search for for a great NFL quarterback. Um, it, Mac Jones is kind of the, I guess, the safe pick and the, the way that they're they're leaning right now. Or do you go after a guy like Trey Lance who has unbelievable upside? when you have you know a veteran quarterback there in Jimmy G who could kind of shepherd him through that process. What what do you do if yeah, you're San Francisco?
4: It's going to be interesting. I know his dad Mike Mike Shanahan, a long-time coach in the league sure. and, and outstanding with quarterbacks and is 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 working with them as well. Um I I don't know Matt Jones concerns me it, 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 the number 3 pick you don't take a guy that can work the system. A system quarterback. Uh, that, that you, you need you take a guy in the early first round, there's got to be something special about them. And that's what I don't know about Matt Jones. And it's not fair because Matt, we just don't know. Matt right. Jones, limited time starting. He played behind the best offensive line in football, throwing the best tandem receivers in college football, turning around and arguably handing off the best running back in football. So he's never really had to put it on his shoulders. We don't know that he can't do it. We just haven't seen it. So that's, that's the concern I would have for a Matt Jones. Trey Lance, you're right. He, he may have the biggest upside, but he's got the farthest way to go as well. So it's going to be interesting to, to, to what they do. I, I will tell you this via the Q factor at the end of the day, and I've heard it from any number of people, whether it was Ron Wolf, whether it was Bill Pullian, people that have been doing this for a long, long time. There has to be something special about a guy you take. You know, they all have the abilities, like we said, uh, and, and that, that's without question. Uh, but there's a lot of, you know, that 50-50 equation, there's a whole list of guys that had the ability, should have been first-round, you know, uh, studs that ended up being busts, And the list goes on and on from Jamarcus Russell to Vince Young to Joey Harrington to Achilles Smith to Ryan Leaf. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. These guys, there's no question these guys should be good. I don't know what's special about Matt Jones that would make you take him at number three.
3: Yeah, that is, that, that is a fascinating pick there. And and then you have Atlanta coming up at four. Dan Helley on the Rich Eisen Show, filling in for Rich. He's in Cleveland. We're going to be talking with him in just a moment right now, talking with Super Bowl-winning head coach and NFL Network analyst uh, Brian Billick. Coach, you've been so generous with your time. Before I let you go, I'm looking for about a 40-foot, Boat that I can take out when I'm back uh, home in Maryland uh, on the Chesapeake Bay. W- can you help me out with that? Because I know you're in the oh, boat yeah. business we'll, a little bit. <laughs> we'll find
4: you one Invictus Yachts. We'll, we'll find something. Uh, I'm still in the boat business. The problem is, you know, we sell uh, used boats. It's hard to find used boats when people aren't buying new boats, uh, and because you can't get new boats because of the COVID, and the whole thing. So that's the, we uh, we don't have any inventory right now. But you want to do that, young man? I'll get you. And I was like I always told you, buy your second boat first right okay because whatever you get you're going to want bigger so go to that one first get get
3: the second bow first i will uh <laughs> I, I will remember that coach anything you want to plug i didn't really i mean i knew you had a podcast that so you were doing michael robinson it sounds like you have a whole slew of podcasts anything you want to
4: plug before oh, yeah, we let I've you got go one uh, coach to coach that i'm enjoying i'm visiting with head coaches assistant coaches uh, trying to give a voice to a lot of assistant coaches as well also got one you like this we haven't popped it out yet but we will uh, I'm doing a fishing podcast called The Coach and the Fisherman. No. Uh, I got a qualified up front. I don't know squat about fishing. I, I, you know, I have a place up in the Northwoods near the Canadian Boundary Waters in Minnesota. But I have access to a whole bunch of guys that know how to fish. It's been fascinating. We're talking uh, musky and walleye and trout and fly fishing and float fishing and baits and, and all sorts. It's, it's been great fun. It's, uh, I'm learning a lot. Unfortunately, I got some people who know what they're talking about.
3: When are you doing? When does this come out? And is there is there a video component to this?
4: You know, we may at some point. A lot of people have been pushing me to do get some pros to come up. I, my house is on Lake Vermilion. It's God's country, man. I'm, I'm about uh, uh, 15 minutes south of the Canadian border, uh, and it's beautiful country. Great fishing. And we talked about maybe coming up and, and having these guys coach me up and doing. Doing the fishing, but right now it's just a podcast. It's been great fun. We'll see if uh, I'm about to head back up there. We'll uh, we'll see if I've learned anything from these podcasts and help me with my fishing.
3: You got to get you. have to go down to the Keys and get Jimmy Johnson on there. I can only imagine the conversations that you two would have. That'd be fantastic.
4: There'd be a little beer involved. That'd be great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> He's Brian Billick in the Ring of Honor for the Baltimore Ravens, won a Super Bowl with them. Now working for NFL Network and in the uh, the world of podcasts. Brian, great catching up. One of these times in the summer, I, I promise I'm going to swing by. I want to go out and have a couple of beers with you on your boat. So we'll get that you're done. Doing, All right. Good talking to you. All
4: right. Good talking to you, dude.
3: All right. Brian Billick, uh, former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, working with NFL Network now. And uh, interesting to get his take on the quarterback situation. If you're drafting in the top 10, you got to get somebody special. And is Mac Jones yep. special? He did special things at Alabama. Surrounded by special players.
0: Mm -hmm. There you go.
3: Four receivers who are gonna be top fifteen picks, a couple of offensive linemen who were top ten picks, first round uh, running back and a first round running back. So maybe we've never we've never before seen a quarterback have four top fifteen picks over the course of two seasons at wide receiver. That's never happened before. I mean, the, the talent at Alabama, as much as it pains me to say, it's just off the <laughs> it, charts it's phenomenal. Insane. It's it's incredible. It's insane. So is Mac Jones going to be special? That's, that's, that's the question that the front office in San Francisco, along with Kyle Shanahan, is asking themselves right now. Is Mac Jones special enough to trade two first-round picks and a third-round pick to draft number three overall? It's the NFL Draft. Dan Helley filling in for Rich Eisen. More draft talk coming up.
2: Oh, oh, O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road.
0: This is the Rich Eisen show.
2: What was it like shooting that scene, though, with Ray Kinsella and his father? I mean, did, how many, how how long did, that? How did you that, that how well, we had that. to do
5: that. At these, could you notice that we did that at Magic Hour. You also noticed that when that shot pulled back and you saw all those cars, you know, now, but that would have been CG. But that was technically uh, that was all extras that we called in the radio. Come be in our movie. And they created that big traffic jam. No. Hold on a second. So that traffic jam—that's a real. That's a real shot, and that people from Iowa came, and so so many people feel like they were a part of that movie. So those thousands and thousands of cars that were in that giant traffic jam that went out on those two lanes—that was real. But in terms of playing it, in terms of as you said, the the quiet moment. Yeah. How, how did you work that, Kevin? Well, I, you know, what I did. What I did was I went back to when I first read it, and so I become the audience when I read it. And I when I read it, I went. <gasps> I couldn't believe that it had orchestrated itself to that thing, and I had that feeling on the couch. And so I knew if I played that straight, if I didn't wink at anybody, Mm -hmm. that these players did come. You know, that's my (laughs) corn. You know, Phil Robinson is the the architect of that movie. You know, um, I tell a story, you know, and I don't tell it often, but... You know, they kept coming after me. I wasn't gonna be able to do that movie. I was gonna do Revenge, and I got into a, finally, Revenge kept getting pushed, kept getting pushed, and finally I had to put my foot down and say, look, uh, if you don't get this movie together, I'm gonna go to do this movie in the corn. I asked the director, why did you hold out for me so long? Why? And he said, well, and this is one of the greatest actors we've ever seen. He goes, they wanted me to do Robin Williams. And I I said, Robin Williams is perfect. He said, yeah, but when I think of Robin, I think he does hear voices in the corn. <laughs> and I don't want that. People don't believe you hear voices. And that was a really interesting, That was a, that's a director that makes a save. That's a Mariano Rivera, you know? Sure. It's a save. He saved his movie because of his belief in an idea you know not the quality of actor cuz Robin Williams will never of course this is this is a guy so special but i but i was curious i said he's actually a bigger star than me you know you know whatever and he goes i need somebody that you don't think cares voices
2: and that would be you i've never heard robin williams was considered for that role that's unbelievable and then you did it and obviously we we're, we're talking about it today
5: yeah 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 It had gold dust on it when I read it because I did that little intake of breath. (gasps) Do you want to have a catch? And, of course, I I wept myself.
3: Back on the Rich Eisen Show, Dan Helley filling in for Rich. (laughs) Going to be catching up with uh, Eisen here in just a, a few minutes, maybe an hour or so. We're going to talk to John Beck. Uh, coming up in about 25 minutes. John Beck, the quarterback coach for uh, three of the potential top 10 picks in That's the draft, awesome. including uh, Kyle Trask, uh, who's, I think, a lot to be a second rounder. Could sneak into the first round I think as so well. Too, but, yeah. uh, but Beck's a guy who's really going to have a lot of influence. When I went down uh, about a week ago to do a podcast, The Helipod, you can download now on iTunes, with, uh, with John Beck, he was just getting off the phone with Kyle Shanahan. He had one of the premier agents in all of football calling him. They, everybody is leaning on him for information. Um, actually, Trey Lance had another quarterback coach, and because of Kyle Shanahan's familiarity with John Beck, Kyle told Trey Lance's agent, hey, I think it'd be a good, good idea to have Trey work out with John Beck. And so he did. So now he is uh, coaching Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance and Zach Wilson, three of the top five quarterbacks in the draft. We're going to catch up with him. We're going to get his take on all these guys. Uh, he was great in the podcast. Uh, does a deep dive into all of them talks about, uh, what they're really good at, what they've been working on, you know, what he thinks, um, they will do well on the NFL level. Um, so that's coming up here in a little bit. I want to go over some of these odds. Uh, you know, sports gambling is actually just, it's, it's blown up obviously. Um, but some of these odds, in terms of predicting where guys will go, there's some serious money to oh. be made here. Not on Trevor Lawrence, I don't think. You have to bet. No, you said you have to bet no. hundred to win. A, I'll tell you what. I will say, to win Dan,
0: If you want to make the easiest one hundred dollars of your entire life, just take out a small loan for a hundred grand and put it all on Trevor Lawrence to be the first overall pick, <laughs> minus one hundred thousand. I've never seen odds like this in my whole. What? Life. That's crazy. That's but, wild. Hey, guaranteed loss. So what about Zach Wilson? One hundred dollars. Zach Wilson to be the second overall pick is minus 10,000. So if you have 10,000 lying around, it's minus 10,000 and win 100 bucks.:
3: and That's still not worth it. Something crazy could happen.
0: All right. Now third overall pick is where it gets, uh, it gets kind of fun. Third, fourth, fifth. this is where you can uh, find some good value and maybe make some money here, depending on uh, how you're reading things. Mac Jones is your third overall pick favorite. Mm-hmm. minus 275. Oh, really? I thought it'd be almost even money. Minus 275. The books think it's locked The Mac Jones goes to the 49ers. Trey Lance, plus 250. If you think maybe they're going to go that way, San Francisco. Justin Fields, plus 350. Okay. Now, fourth overall pick gets a little more fun, too. Kyle Pitts, your favorite, to go to Atlanta, minus 150. So that's bet $150 to, to win 100. $100, if you're not familiar. Justin Fields, plus 280. So that's bet 100 to win 280. Trey Lance, plus 250. Okay. I don't know. I that, that, I don't. I, I think
3: I would roll my the dice on on Mac Jones at almost three to one odds, and uh, make my money there because I, I think that's a virtual lock. At third overall, so that's so
0: that's bet two seventy five to one hundred. So yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, I just don't love those. Anytime you have to bet more to win last, it's not it's not my favorite thing. You you want to if you're locked in on one of those and you think okay, Detroit's going to take Panay Sewell. Which, by the way, is I think like there, there you're getting good odds. It's like plus four fifty or something.
0: Yeah, like that. Yeah, Penesola go in the top five. So you think he goes to Cincinnati at five? That's plus one ten. So a little more than even money. Bet hundred, win hundred and ten back. But they could draft Jamar Chase. And then they could throw you for a loop. That's what's interesting here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fascinated. By no, this. this is fun. This is a this is a big thing. This is a big deal to uh, the the sports gam- gambling now of betting where guys are going to actually specifically go in the draft and you can bet on which team they go to you can bet on the exact outcome so if you think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence 1, Zach Wilson 2, Mac Jones 3, Kyle Pitts 4, you can bet on that exact outcome, that's even money that's bet 100, win 100 what what were the
3: odds of uh, Teddy Bridgewater getting traded to the Broncos for a 6th round pick which just happened that just happened? According to Tom Pelissero, a good buddy from NFL Network, Teddy Bridgewater going to the Broncos.
0: For a sixth-round pick, that's basically free.
3: Well, wow. if you're Carolina and you have Sam Darnold and you could potentially draft another quarterback, wow. you might have even cut Teddy Bridgewater, even though you owed him some guaranteed money in the second year of his deal. So Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, in my mind, if you're the Denver Broncos this changes absolutely nothing, nothing in terms of you looking at this draft as a chance to still get a franchise. totally agree, totally agree so you have two guys in Teddy and drew that really haven 't proven a whole lot in the NFL, but that wow that that makes things interesting now for Denver, who now at nine overall. Gosh, I wonder, I wonder if this does change anything for them from their perspective. In my mind, it shouldn't. But maybe in their mind, they have the veteran guy in Teddy who can come in and hold down the fort. But if you're Denver, you don't need a guy to come in and
0: hold no, down Drew the Lock fort. Is, a Drew Locke, when he is healthy, can kind of sling it a little bit. If you're looking to upgrade, sure. If somebody falls to you at nine, maybe you jump on Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Do you... Do you I don't... Can you move Drew Locke for anything more than a sixth-round pick?
3: Do you even a five bother doing if you're lucky. that? If you're lucky,
0: but what I mean, about Carolina now? Are they in on Jimmy G potentially, or no. are they still looking at eight if somebody falls to them? They he got you got Darnold right, so you have you have Darnold, and then and what Justin Fields? If he's may, there, I, I
3: as we talked about earlier, I am hearing as many other people are that they are uh, enamored with Justin Fields and that they could draft him at eight if he were to fall and perhaps have a quarterback competition with Sam Darnold. That does not make a ton of sense to me, but if you think he can be the guy, then maybe you do that. So in case you, uh, you are just tuning in, the Panthers trading quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos for a sixth-round pick, according to Tom Pelissaro, uh of NFL Network. Um, so Teddy on the move. Now, we expected... Teddy, to be going somewhere or or maybe cut. So if you're Carolina, um, at least you get something in return for uh, Teddy Bridgewater. You signed him last year after a nice little run backing up Drew Brees uh, in New Orleans. But is he your franchise quarterback of the future? I don't think so. Is he a placeholder? Seems more probable. The Broncos picking at nine. Going to be interesting to see what they do at quarterback. John Beck, quarterback coach, coming up. Dan Helley on The Rich Eisen Show.
0: Yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting yeah. move.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. I but like you said, you're giving up a sixth round pick. That's you're good not news giving for up Sam a Darnold, though, right? That's good news for Sam. I, I his job to lose now. Well, I don't. I, yeah, but I don't think Teddy Bridgewater was playing in their plans. Like he was, he was not going to be there. Right. Um, bad news potentially for for Drew Lock. Um, you know, I just I. I, I don't know, I guess that's a good move. Is is Teddy a guy, I don't know enough about what he's like in the quarterback room. Is is Teddy a guy that if you do draft, if you let's say the Broncos end up with Trey Lance. Is Teddy has he been around long enough to be is a mentor he old enough to be that mentor? Or Teddy Bridgewater still in his what, fifth going into his fifth or sixth season? He he still wants to be a starting quarterback. I mean, in the Bridgewater twenty eight. I mean, you know, still
0: getting pretty good coin. Too young to men to be a mentor. I, yeah, I, I, I think, think so. if you're him, you think you can still start. You can still make plays and be a successful quarterback, be a playoff quarterback. He's not going to accept being a mentor for Trey Lance. Yeah, or I, I, a placeholder I, for Trey Lance. I
3: think that creates an interesting dynamic in the quarterback room. And having talked to a slew of quarterbacks over the years. Uh, having a veteran presence in the quarterback room might be the most important thing you could have for a, a young quarterback. So uh, here's from uh, Adam Schefter tweeting just a few minutes ago, Panthers trading Bridgewater to the Broncos, according to Tom Pelissero. Panthers paying Bridgewater $7 million, Broncos paying him $3 million. Trade does not take Denver out of the quarterback market on Thursday night per
0: source, just as we assumed the so panthers paying seven million to ship him out of town well here's how you have to look at it i believe
3: that they were going to cut teddy uh and just eat it so and they just, basically save three million yeah and pick up a sixth round pick in the process all right so beggars can't be choosers sure something's better than nothing and that's what uh carolina gets with teddy bridgewater and As Adam Schefter said, this does not take them out of the quarterback derby. They have been trying to find a quarterback in Denver since Peyton Manning left town, and they have had many ill-fated experiments there. Now they have Teddy Bridgewater via trade from Carolina to compete with Drew Locke and whoever they potentially draft at number 9. It's Helly in for Eisen.